0: Welcome to Hylon Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at Hylon We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. It's not
1: it's to the theme is peace. And the scripture is from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 27. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. What are we doing to get ready for Christmas? What activities do we see taking place in our homes, in our church, and in our communities? There are trees to decorate, parades to attend, and cards to write. Take a minute and think about our hopes and expectations for Christmas as we begin to decorate, shop, and cook. As we light the candle of peace, let's also get ready for our remembrance through prayer, devotion, and reflection. Simeon and Anna waited expectantly for Jesus the Messiah. John the Baptist shouted, prepare the way for the Lord, and all the people will see God's salvation. As we get ready to celebrate the birth of our Savior, how can we be prepared to tell other people the good news about Jesus? Are we ready to share God's message of peace with our friends, neighbors, and family? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message of peace and all the many blessings you have given us. Prepare our hearts for this season of Christmas. In all that we do and say, may you be glorified. Pardon our sins and save us in the name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Today's sermon is going to be a little different in that it will be more biblical commentary than the points that I'm used to using so pay attention, and let's, let's pray for a blessing from God for His Word. Because today, we're, as Advent progresses, we're talking about the peace of God, the shalom of God. Uh, shalom, we often refer to it as peace, but in the English mindset, we have a bad habit of thinking of peace as simply an absence of conflict. That's not what shalom means. To the Jewish mind, shalom is not just an absence of conflict, but it is, a, it is a peace and it's a contentment that's built in together. It is an assurance that God has handled all the problems of someone's life and that we are dwelling within his love. It's a certainty of divine provision, providence, and grace. Shalom, when Christ came and when He is declared to be the Prince of Peace, He was the settlement on an age-old conflict between Creator and creation. He was the sacrifice which paid for the sins of many so that we may have that full assurance of grace, providence, so that we may experience not just the absence of conflict with our Creator, but that we may be in a close, loving, intimate relationship with Him. Shalom is not merely the absence of conflict. It's the presence of love. So if you would, take out your copy of God's Word with me and let's go over uh, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 8, starting with verse 21. In this This should be a um, familiar passage to many of us. In fact, I believe that we've covered this before. But the prophet is using the practical to explain the spiritual. The practical is that Israel is constantly at war. That at this point in time, the divided kingdom, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, the people of God called by him, the children of Abraham are in a state of constant war both with with each other, internal conflict, and with their neighbors. Soon to be, the Assyrian Empire, and then later on Babylon, will crush them. And he's trying to say that instead of your enemies, one day, the day is coming when God himself will make an appearance. One day, he who you are in conflict with right now yourselves will not only be at peace with you, but he will bring others into peace with you. One day you will not be enemies of God, but you will truly be his children. So beginning with chapter 8, verse 21, once you have that, or have that passage in front of you, say amen. They will wander through the, the land, dejected and hungry, When they are famished, they will become enraged and look upward and will curse the king and their God. They will look towards the earth and see only distress, darkness, the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea to the land east of the Jordan, to the Galilee of the nations, the Gentiles, more literally. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You are in ignorance on top of your conflict. Some of you still barely claim to know the God of Abraham. And yet you live in such a way that you oppress your neighbors. You lie against those who are your brothers and sisters. You are at war with God. This is the result of an unsaved, unregenerate life. Now, the fact is we're looking at this through the Old Testament lens and we can point at Israel and say, well, how horrible you were back then, but the the reality of the situation is that's also us. This is human nature. The fallen nature of all humanity without the presence of the Holy Spirit. This might as well be us. And yet, he writes, the people walking in darkness, chapter 9, verse 2, have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You, O God, have enlarged the nation and have increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders the staff of their oppressor just as you did on the day of midian for every trampling boot of the bat of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire there is a day coming he's telling the people the day is coming when your weapons will be broken down because they won't have use when the armor that your soldiers are putting on themselves will be recycled because there will be no point in it. The conflict that you live in right now, the constancy of it, will be a thing of the past. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be named, what? Wonderful, mighty, everlasting, the Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and into forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies Will accomplish this God's promise to his people of the past some of which yet to be fulfilled may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning right now as we take a look at what peace means as to what the shalom means there are two factors at play first of all of course is the primary war with God the war of the flesh we are before we come into the free pardon of sin before we are transformed by the holy spirit of god we have three great we are in league rather with three great enemies enemies that we will claim as such after conversion the world the flesh and the devil the world, the group of people currently in a rebellious state against their own creator, the flesh, meaning the temptations of the body, some of which are basic actual nurturing needs that somehow get twisted and contorted by the enemy, and of course the devil, the enemy himself, spiritual warfare. The trick is before we become a regenerate Christian, before we go down the altar, before we kneel at the throne of grace and accept Christ and his sacrifice, All of us stand as enemies of God. In fact, the apostle writes to us, uh, Paul writes to us the same thing in Romans chapter eight, the same hope chapter. He writes to us that the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. and does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Before we are regenerate Christians, we are simply put at war with him who first loved us. That is our nature. That is what we are programmed to do. Basically, from the, from the time that we can reasonably discern the difference between right and wrong, we get it wrong all the time. We default to enmity with God. And it's only through his transforming power upon our lives does that get changed. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however are in the realm of the flesh, not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of what? The Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of the God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. We have one hope for peace with God. And only one hope for peace with God, and that is to surrender. Now, we come from a culture where that's not an option. In fact, there was a, a hokey science, uh, science fiction movie a few years ago whose tagline was never give up, never surrender. How often have we heard that? But the only way that we can enjoy peace with God is to realize that we cannot earn ourselves into heaven, that we cannot please him on our own, that we do not want to be, or we should never want to be at enmity with our own creator, but rather we should be his children. We should have that close personal relationship with him. The flesh does not understand it. The flesh does not understand the necessity of a relationship with God. It only knows that it has a spiritual hole within itself that needs to be filled. And like fish wandering into a polluted ocean, we try to feed ourselves with plastic. Those who are still in the flesh, the carnally minded, those who have not yet heard the word of God, go out seeking after something to fulfill themselves, to to spiritually nurture themselves, and yet what they're eating provides them with no nutrition. In fact, it will ultimately end up starving them to death because they think they're being fed by something when the fact of the matter is they're suffering from malnutrition. They are dying. How many of us know somebody who was mad at church, so they left the church? Almost all of us. And not only did they leave the church, but they decided to starve themselves from contact with God. They got mad at God. They blamed God. If that's your God, I want nothing to do with it. So they go searching out for something, be it hobbies, be it throwing themselves into their work full time, or worshiping their work or their paycheck, or trying a false religion, trying universalism, Unitarianism, trying something that is idolatry. Stepping away from God altogether. There was a mosque built in Huntington, West Virginia that took advantage of a spiritual necessity that the churches of that community weren't fulfilling. They don't offer Christ. You want evidence that your religion is the religion How many times have we as Christians been subject to people blaspheming the name of our Lord and yet it's seen as comedic funny or well, people pick on our churches and they do so and there's a f- cultural fashion built around that and yet if we pick if anybody in this culture not just the Christians but if anybody picks on any of the other religions the same way that they pick on us, what happens? It's interesting to note that anybody outside of the church can pick on the church as much as they want, can blaspheme the name of Christ, and yet they will not dare do that to any other religious figure. Isn't that odd? We've been dealing with persecution for thousands of years. The darkness does not like the light. The darkness is at war with the light. Yet, as I talked about last night, the light prevails against the darkness. Now, for those outside of Christ, it is not possible to please God. There is a state of war that always exists, however the hope that was given to us through the passage in Isaiah, the hope that the people of God were waiting for, for hundreds of years, for centuries, the hope that we now enjoy as Christians is the fact that from the moment that we give our hearts to Him, the moment that the Holy Spirit ignites within us the realization through the preaching of the Word of God that I'm missing something, I have a sin debt. I have a guilt on my shoulders that I cannot relieve. I have a burden that I cannot lay down. I need God. When the first realization occurs and we go boldly before the throne of grace and we make this petition, God, forgive me a sinner. From the moment that happens... We are imbued with the Holy Spirit of God and that old nature has passed away. A new nature is born within us. A nature capable of understanding God. A nature of being able to go into God's presence. A nature that equips us for ministry. That molds us and shapes us into the image of God's Son. That way, when the day comes and we see our Creator face to face, we do not stare into the eyes of an enemy. We stare into the eyes of a loving Father who is waiting to embrace us, who is waiting and longing to be able to say the words to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome, child, to home. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The war is over from the moment we come into his presence. Spiritual death is no longer an issue. Physical death is no longer a concern. On the one hand, we know that physical death is only temporary. That the day will come when the graves will be broken open and the people of God will stand together as one family again, never to be separated. A place where goodbye has no meaning. But not only that, but we know that we will be forever with Him in the presence of God for all time. There's also the external war, the war with others. We talked about where if you bisected a person's heart, you would basically see two warring factions. What's good for me and what's bad for them? The war with others. The the culture that we live in right now has a bad habit of giving us a second golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. Either that or do unto them before they have a chance to do unto me." That's the wisdom of the age. This is the way that Paul puts it. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, distress, factionalization, factions, This is Galatians 5, and and he continues, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because if you live in this state, you obviously don't belong to it. You cannot see another human being as a function. As a means of making yourself happy, you cannot see another person as an object and be endowed with the Holy Spirit of God. If you are in Christ, the other person is not merely something to be used, but someone who bears his image. That's the difference. The reason that all these sins against others, they're thus against God... Are so prevalent is because you can't. The person who is the unbeliever doesn't see their neighbor as anything more than a means to an end. Sexual immorality comes about because one person wants to make themselves feel pleasure at the expense of someone else. Lies, persecution, all that happens because somebody wants to use somebody else as a means to an end. Christ teaches us differently. Christ teaches us that that person is made in God's image. That that person is someone who, just like us, is a being of eternal significance and divine worth. There are no exceptions to that. Your neighbors are precious in the sight of God. They should be precious in our sight as well. Paul in Galatians 5 goes on to say, the fruit of the Spirit on the other hand is not hatred but love. Not any love, agape, self-sacrificing love. It's also joy. Joy which pervades all of life's circumstances, not happiness. Happiness can be quashed in an instant. Joy is sustained eternally. Joy, you don't need something to make you feel good about yourself. The presence of God reminds you constantly that you are a son or daughter of the king. Peace, shalom, not just the absence of conflict, but the certain knowledge that you stand as a beloved member of the kingdom's family. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the tools that someone needs to make a relationship with somebody and make it work. We talk about longevities with with families and with marriage. Nothing is more critical to a marriage than the ability to forgive the other person, to love that other person, to see that other person as worthy of respect and honor. Self-submission, mutual submission to one another is a requirement to keeping things going. Against such things there is no law. This understanding that this is the highest ideal of the Christian ethic. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And love one another just as I have loved you. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. Since we therefore live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let us live together the way that we should. Not rebuking the gathering of ourselves together, but loving each other. Finding excuses to be together. Finding opportunities to fellowship and to serve. We spent the better part of last week, many of us, bringing the message that Highlawn Baptist Church is still alive to many sectors of St. Albans, West Virginia, to remind the city of churches that come what may, this one will still sing. This one will still celebrate. This one will still do the work of ministry. This one will still love. This one will still stand as a hope to a people that desperately need it. So the pathway to peace, the shalom of God, is built on developing and furthering that relationship with our Creator. Since then, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and i hope it's also plain to your conscience let this mindset dwell richly within you we don't have to worry about our relationship with god it's secured in christ we don't have to worry about our conflicts with others christ is already god excuse me the father is already gone before to create a method by which we can get turn enemies into friends this is the religion that conquered the roman empire Do you think that God has stopped working in his people? Do you think that Christ no longer has power within his church? The challenge has always been there. The challenge will never go away. The darkness will always try to buck up against the light. But what did Christ say about his own church that he himself died to purchase? He said that even the gates of hell will not what? Prevail against it. We are the battering ram that rescues souls from eternal condemnation. We are the rescuers. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God, ministers of reconciliation. That's what Paul is getting ready to tell us. We are the bringers of peace into a world that doesn't understand the concept. Peace between God Peace between men. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride within us. He's talking to this church in Corinth about the ministry of the apostles, reaching out in love to others, those who are doing without because of a severe famine, And how through their giving, through their generosity, through their selflessness, that other people are are coming to Christ because they see the difference in the quality of love that Christ can make. We are giving you the opportunity to take pride within us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Underline that in your copy of God's Word this second. For Christ's love compels us. It gives us strength. It gives us direction. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves in selflessness and pride and sin, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. While you've got your markers out, underline that one too. We regard no one from a worldly point of view again, from the worldly point of view, you're not a person, you're an object, you're a function, you're a machine. You're something to be used and tossed aside. But we in Christ regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Through Christ, you're not the same person that you were. You might look the same to others on the outside, but the inside has been completely revamped. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not something that is done passively. It's something that we have to do deliberately, intentionally, and actively. Let me say that again, the reconciliation of a community of unbelievers to God is something that is done deliberately, it is done intentionally, and it is done actively, deliberately because we have this mission from our Creator. We are commissioned by Him to do His work as His hands, His feet, and His voice intentionally in that everything we do from the way we structure our worship services to our outreach programs to the way that we guard our conduct our conversation and our character before others, it is all tailor-made so that we represent Christ to a world to make them curious and then draw them into the family. Actively in that it is not something that simply happens magically on its own that we have no part in. If we are called to be ministers of Christ, then we need to be ministering for Christ. We need to be always willing to give an account of the hope that is within uh, us, as Peter wrote to us. We need to be those who feed the hungry. We need to be those who provide for those that have nothing. We need to be those who conquer poverty. We need to be those who bring hope actively, who are not contented merely to sit by and hope someone else does it. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us, when he went to be our great high priest, he left to us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them as he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You are not only a church member. You are an active ambassador. You are an active participant. You are not only a beneficiary of the gospel, you are also its messenger. And that could be through the way that you live your life, actively at work and at home, That also needs to be something that is done here through the guise of the church and also through your own personal ministry wherever that takes you in this life. God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Peace with God. Peace with mankind. The deliverance from the judgment, yes. The capability of living in harmony with our fellows, yes. But there's one more step to it. Like many things in the gospel, there is three sides to this coin. The third side is that once we have become the inheritors of that peace, what did Christ say? My peace, let let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. Peace I give you. Not peace as the world gives, the peace that the world pollutes, rather, something that is there one second and gone the next, that is dependent on something else but God's everlasting peace he has given you as a foretaste of your inheritance to come. The shalom and the certainty that whatever this world puts against you, God has gone before and through his providence will sustain you through. The peace and the certainty that also, the shalom that also means that you're not only in an absence of conflict, but you are also actively in a loving Wonderful, holy relationship with Him. A relationship that comes with the message, take this and extend it to others. Go ye therefore into all nations, all peoples, more literally. Proclaim the gospel. Make disciples. Teach them. Baptize them. It's not good enough just to enjoy it yourself. But we also have the ministry of making sure that the message goes on. And all God's people said. So, Heavenly Father, as we come to your table this Advent season, as we prepare our hearts for the coming of your Son, we remember the longing that your people had so, so many centuries ago. People who were walking in darkness longing for the light, longing for the Prince of Peace, longing to not only be outside of conflict with you, but sure of the love of your embrace. Lord, as we dedicate this time and in ourselves into your hands, we ask that you would examine our hearts, that you would bring to mind those times that we have not heard the cry of the needy, when we have not labored for the kingdom, when we should have, those times when we thought of ourselves instead of thinking of our brothers and sisters in Christ, or worse, when we haven't loved you above all else. Forgive us for our sins. Send a newness, a revival within our hearts that as we reproach your table now, we may do so knowing the fullness of your grace and being fully dedicated to your family, to your church, to you. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience and let us know the peace that comes from being a child of the King.
0: In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person. To contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, visit us at Church.org. Once again, thank you and God bless you.